Go and turn your Bibles to John chapter 8. As I said before, we're going to be looking at verses 21 through 30 today. We're going to ask the question, who is Jesus? The Pharisees asked this very question to him, the religious leaders did. And as we think about who he is and even what he's done, we have to say perspective matters, doesn't it? We say in all of life, perspective matters. We might say that some people can't see the forest for the trees, and some people can't see the trees for the forest. I can go both ways. We might look back to our childhood and just think about little kindergartners and first graders seeing those big fifth and sixth graders. Remember those days? Those big old fifth and sixth graders walking down the hallway. They're so huge until about five years later. When you laugh as you watch the little kindergartners trying to walk in a straight line as they go to recess behind their teacher, those little kindergartners. Uh, Teenagers, they wonder when they're ever going to finish high school and become adults. Freedom, right? (laughs) While their parents, and even more so their grandparents, watch in amazement as the years fly by. Perspective matters. But it matters subjectively. Uh, Perspective is not objective, it's subjective. Uh, Do you remember uh, what your passenger side rear view mirror says at the bottom? I'm happy I just said that sentence without stumbling over it. Do you remember what it says at the bottom? Objects in mirror are closer than they appear. They're a poet and they don't even know it. I suppose you could say, well, it didn't look like it was that close as you explained to others how you ran into the light post behind you in the parking lot. But the people who made that mirror know the truth, and they know what the mirror was made to do. Perspective matters. It's how we interpret the things that we see. Uh, But our interpretations can be misguided by our perspective. And our interpretations can be held rigidly, even when we're obviously wrong, because of our pride. And speaking of perspectives and and pride, Paul encouraged us and rebuked us in Romans 9, where he writes, Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? We can't do that. And Jesus Christ, God the Son, is our maker. God made us. We are his creation. Therefore, his perspective is always going to be superior to ours. And he's always going to be right. And we do well to listen to him. Jesus... In John 8, in the previous paragraph, verses 12 through 20, uh, told the crowd that he is the light of the world. And he said, whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then after the Pharisees, remember their poor attempt to catch Jesus in a lie, he tells them that they do not have life, that they do not believe, that they, in fact, are walking in that darkness because they don't know the Father. Jesus says, you don't even believe. You don't know God. And so now in the next part of John 8, Jesus will contrast having light and life 
with what comes to all those who remain in the darkness. The contrast of light and getting eternal life and staying in the darkness and seeing death. So verse 21, this is John 8, verse 21. He said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So what has Jesus just told them? Just take it up into into bits and chunks here. The first one, I'm going away. I'm going away. And there we think of the cross. We think of Christ's death, his burial, his resurrection, and then eventually his ascension, right? In Acts chapter 1, after Jesus gave his final words to the apostles, it says this. And let's uh, go ahead and hear what Jesus said to them while we're at it. We're going to go up to verse 6, okay? So Acts 1, verse 6. Jesus says, or it says here, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They wanted it to be now, now, let's do this now. And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up, he was going away. And the cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So where to where has Jesus gone away. Where is Jesus? Heaven. Heaven. Romans 8 tells us that Jesus is presently, right now, at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. Jesus went to heaven, and he's there right now. And then Jesus said to these religious leaders, you will seek me. You will seek me. And on the surface, that might sound like a strange rebuke. Uh, Don't we want people to seek the Messiah? Don't we want them to seek out Jesus? But if you remember, the, the kind of Messiah these people were searching for doesn't exist. Remember, they doctored up that sketch artist work so that they could be looking for the wrong guy. They had an idea and a definition of who they wanted the Messiah to be, and it wasn't Jesus. And so they're looking for the Messiah, but they're not going to find him. They're looking for somebody, except when he comes, whenever that Messiah comes, he's, he's going to be educated in the same schools as them, and, and uh, he's going to wear the same clothes as them, the same religious pomp as they have, and they're going to like the same praise of man, that Messiah, and they're going to, that Messiah is going to quote his favorite rabbi, too. Hopefully them, right? That'd be amazing. They're looking for a self-styled, man-made, tell me how amazing I am, and give me what I've always wanted, eliminate all my problems, kind of Messiah. Perspective. This is perspective, and this is unbelief. Unbelief. They didn't want the Messiah that the Father sent because they didn't know the Father. They didn't believe. They liked how the religious system could work for them in their favor, and they did not know the God they claimed to represent. It's sad. 
And so they are going to seek the Messiah, but they're not going to find him. And then next Jesus said, and you will die in your sin. You will die in your sin. He had just said up in verse 12, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's eternal life. But these men love the darkness. They are in sin. And they love their sins, as, as Jesus said in John 3. Uh, Therefore, they do not have life, and they will die in their sin. They will die in unbelief. No redemption, no forgiveness. But then we have to ask, what is the consequence of the sin? If they die in their sin, what will result? And Jesus answers these questions. He says, where I am going, and we know that is heaven, where I am going, you cannot come. You cannot come. And of course, the follow-up question has to be, if these men and if other people cannot go where Jesus is going to heaven, if they do die in their sin, then what happens to them? If a person dies in their sin and doesn't go to heaven, where do they go? And Jesus answers this question as well. In Matthew 8, in pointing out the amazing faith of a Roman centurion in the presence of Jews around him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, with with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus saying people he's saying people from all over the world are going to come and they're going to believe and they're going to be in heaven. While the sons of the kingdom, this means people out of Israel, there will be people out of Israel who will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus gives the contrast there to heaven. So we know that the options are not heaven or heaven. Everyone is not going to heaven. This is called universalism. The idea that everyone eventually will make it into heaven. That idea directly opposes what Jesus taught. So if that's true, then Jesus is false. And if Jesus is false, if he's wrong, he is no Messiah. Understand that? We also know the options are not heaven or annihilation. You cannot weep and gnash your teeth if you no longer exist. So those who die in their sin, according to Jesus himself, will be cast into the outer darkness, which is also called hell. In Hebrews 9, it says that this is appointed to all of us once to die, and after this, the judgment. And in Second Thessalonians 1, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, those who have not believed, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Church, hell is real. Hell is real. And that really shouldn't pump us up. You know what I mean by that? When we hear that, 
And, you know, if you're visiting today, we don't talk about hell every Sunday here because we go through the books of the Bible. And it's in this passage today, so we're talking about it today. Because we submit ourselves, we should, right, submit ourselves to the truth of God's word. But we don't get all fired up like, yeah, hell's, hell's real, woo! That's not the nature of this, is it? It should bring us to our knees in prayer, the reality of it, praying for those souls who are disobeying the gospel, who have rejected Jesus Christ. It ought to compel us to go share the gospel with the lost, these truths. Hell is real, and God is just. He judges justly, and anyone who dies in their sin cannot go where Jesus has gone. And we're going to talk about what that sin, in, in the singular form, the sin, not sins, but he said sin here, what that sin is in just a bit. And Jesus is going to tell us. And he has just told these men uh, that they were in their sin. And that if they died in their sin, they were going to go to hell. This is what Jesus has just told these religious leaders. And you might guess that they would be shocked at the idea. Oh, right? You might guess, hopefully thinking positive, they would ask what they could do to be saved, like the Philippian jailer. But remember, they don't believe. They have rejected Christ. And so they continue to call good evil, and to call evil good in their self-righteousness. Verse 22. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. Do you see what they did here? Jesus has just told them, where I'm going, you cannot come. And we know that, we know that means Jesus is going to heaven and that they're going to hell. And they understood what he meant as well. So they flipped it on him. What's he going to do? Kill himself? Is he going to commit suicide? You see, the Jews, like many religious people still today, believe that the person who commits suicide is automatically bound for hell. That that is an unpardonable, if not the unpardonable, sin. And the conventional belief among the Jews uh, was, as the historian Josephus writes, he wrote this, the souls of those whose hands have acted madly against themselves are received by the darkest place of Hades. So meaning a person who commits suicide is going to get the worst of what hell has to offer. That's what they would believe. And by the way, the Bible never says anything about this matter. There are people who commit suicide in the Bible, but it never says anything about those people automatically going to hell because of that one particular sin. It is a terrible thing. It is murder. And the consequences of it go far beyond the person who commits it. Right? The person who commits it wants, in their thinking, in their wrong thinking, freedom from whatever it is that they're struggling with. But the people who suffer are those who are left behind. Right? And in that way, it's a selfish thing. And they have no part of experiencing it. Uh, But there is one sin, and one sin only, that would be considered, if you will, unpardonable. And as I promised before, Jesus is going to tell us what that is in a little bit. Okay, so hang on. Um, But it's not suicide. 
What these Pharisees have done here, though, is to mock Jesus. They're mocking him. They're saying, well, we know where we're going. So what are you going to do to get yourself to hell? Does that make sense? That's what they're saying to him. They're saying, no, you. You think about that kind of interaction with people who are fighting with each other. And somebody might say something as, as terrible as, go to hell. And then their response is right back at you. Okay? But that's not what Jesus was doing. And that's not the countenance or the way that Jesus was saying it to them. This is his response. Verse 23. He said to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Perspective. Jesus is talking about perspective. Uh, If you've ever flown in a plane and had the courage to look out the window, how many of you are aisle seat people? Okay. Nobody. Okay. Everybody loves those. How many of you are just like, don't get in a plane at all people, right? But if you look at that window, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? If, if you're scared of heights, maybe just try Google Earth or something like that so you can get a satellite image on your computer screen on the ground where it's safe. But as you continue to climb in the plane looking out the window, as you continue to climb into the air, all the buildings and the trees, those big city blocks or the acres of farmland, they just start looking smaller and smaller and smaller. You see the grid of the cities and of the farmlands and all those kinds of things with tiny little moving specks for a while can't even tell what kind of car it is that's driving down or anything like that, right? Until all of the moving parts even disappear. And you get above the clouds, and you're up and out of sight. Jesus has a different perspective than we do. He is from above. We are from below. And it's not just a high up or a low down physical perspective kind of a thing. It is a Jesus is holy, righteous and without error, and we are clouded by our sin. Our judgment clouded by our sin kind of a perspective. Does that make sense? So guess what our perspectives often are? Wrong. <laughs> and he is never wrong. He is always right. He's always right. Uh, do you know why these men just mocked Jesus, saying he was going to commit suicide and go to hell? Because they didn't get it. They had a wrong perspective. And what didn't they get? Well, why did they think they were going to heaven? They were self-righteous. They thought they had achieved it. They thought they were good enough. They thought they were pretty awesome, in fact. And then we have to say, compared to whom? Compared to whom? Well, I'm a pretty good person. Compared to whom? Right? Right? Uh, Do you know what the biggest blind spot was for these Pharisees? They didn't think their sin was a big deal. They had problems. They had problems. All these people need to get led. They need to be led. This Jesus guy keeps messing around with our stuff. We have to look better and act better than everybody else to keep up our credibility. We have to appease the Roman rulers and yet keep our own sense of power in the region and respect in the region. Uh, We have to make sure that we raise up the next generation of Pharisees to, to be just like us and keep this thing, this sweet deal we got going. These men had some things on their plate. They were probably pretty stressed out. But none of these things were their biggest problem. Their bank accounts were not their biggest problem. Their relationships were not their biggest problem. Their family strife was not their biggest problem. 
their workload or work environment was not their biggest problem. Their health or the lack thereof was not their biggest problem. Their anxiety was not their biggest problem. Not even the sin that others had committed against them. That wasn't their biggest problem. What was their biggest problem? What did Jesus tell them? From his view from up above, in all his holiness, his righteousness, in his perfect knowledge, what was their biggest problem? Their sin. Sin. And church, my biggest problem, more than any of the other things that I might struggle with in this life, in this world, my biggest problem is my sin. And your biggest problem, do you know what it is? It's your sin. Your sin. And you might say, well, I just don't agree with that. Well, realize you are then agreeing with the Pharisees on that one. And you are disagreeing with Jesus. And he is from above, and we are from below. He is our creator, he is our sustainer, and we are his creation, and we are sinners. And here, here is his response to the Pharisees. And then it, that answer I was promising you on what sin would ensure eternal separation from God, here it comes, okay? Verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he... And the he is supplied here in the English, okay? It wasn't there in the Greek. Jesus just called himself, I am. This is the name that God used to reveal himself to Moses from the burning bush. I am that I am. And I am means the eternal, uncaused, uncreated, self-existent God. He is. He didn't become. He isn't going to be. Eternally, I am. What Jesus is saying is, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And so there it is. You must believe. Believe. And Jesus does transition to using the plural for sins here. He says sins. We are all sinners and are accountable for all our sins. However, what is the sin, the sin, that if never repented of or changed will result in our dying in our sins? And that sin, as he just said, is unbelief. Unbelief, Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. From what? Why do we say saved anyways? Well, because the consequence of our sin is that we will die in our sins and eternally be separated from God in hell. We need to be saved by God. And verse 10 says, For with the heart one believes and is justified. That's the inner man, okay? It's not your muscle that's pumping blood through your body. With the heart, the inner man, one believes and is justified, declared not guilty. Not dying in your sin. Innocent. With the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is, again, saved. Believe. Everyone sins. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, we all, 
would have our own sins to die in. And all fully deserve the consequences. Every single soul in this auditorium and all over the face of the earth has sins on their account and deserves the right justice on that sin. But God, the great I am, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Why is there such a thing as salvation? Because God loves. And how did I accomplish it? I didn't. I was dead. God loved me. God loves you. He can save you. Believe. Believe. And how do we receive this mercy? How are we made alive in Christ? How are we freed from the penalty of our sin? Our greatest single need. Believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for your sin. And only Jesus could do that work. The only sacrifice for our sin that would count for anything would have to be a sinless, perfect sacrifice. One sinner can't die for another sinner because that sinner deserved to die. But Jesus didn't deserve to die. Only the Messiah, the only God, only God the Son, the great I Am could provide. And that's exactly who Jesus is. After telling these religious leaders that if they didn't believe that he was their Messiah, the great I Am, after telling them that their unbelief would bring death and separation, verse 25, this is what they do. So they said to him, Who are you? Are they really asking him that right now? Jesus just called himself, I am. And Jesus says to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. Jesus is saying, this is a direct rebuke of their self-righteousness. Jesus has plenty of material that he could bring up in judgment against them. They are not righteous. They think they are. They're not righteousness. Their righteousness is a false Righteousness. They're keeping rules that they wrote. Not God. But Jesus says, He who sent me is true. And I declare to the world that I have heard from him. And they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. They didn't understand because they didn't believe. They did not understand that their only hope of salvation was standing right in front of them. They did not understand that their biggest problem was their sin. That they needed to be saved. So Jesus said to them, verse 28, When you have lifted up the Son of Man. The Son of Man is another title for the Messiah from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, Daniel 9. Jesus is not beating around the bush here, is he? How many words for the Messiah do you want me to share with you, Pharisees? He is not speaking in code. He's using biblical terms from the scriptures, which they had, and they were the experts. He says, when you 
have lifted up the Son of Man. And by the way, that hadn't happened yet. So Jesus just told them what they were going to do. And they did it. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. And again, the he is there in English for us. So we understand, okay? So it makes grammatical sense. You'll know that I am. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. The Pharisees think that Jesus has gone rogue. They think he is reckless. They think he is a self-styled prophet. They think he is trying to buck the system. And he was. Their system. He did buck it. They think he is hurting everything they've built. They probably thought that he was their biggest problem. But Jesus hadn't broken away from the system. Jesus had not gone rogue. They had. Search the scriptures. Jesus was the one fulfilling the prophecies. Jesus was the one fulfilling the law. Jesus was the one speaking truth. Their biggest problem wasn't Jesus. Their biggest problem was their sin. Their unbelief. And Jesus was their only hope. By the way, when they did lift up the Son of Man, when Jesus was crucified, what happened? What happened? In Matthew's Gospel, it tells us these things. There was darkness over all the region from noon to three. That's generally a pretty sunshiny time, wouldn't you agree? And it wasn't a cloud over the cross. It was the whole region for three hours in the middle of the afternoon. The curtain... The veil in the temple, as we sang this morning, was torn in two, ripped from top to bottom. And you think, well, I have a shower curtain at home. That's not such a big deal. Well, this curtain, this veil was 60 feet high and four inches thick. That doesn't happen. That doesn't, nobody can even climb a ladder and jump onto that thing and go, and come down the whole way down the curtain and That doesn't happen. Sounds miraculous, doesn't it? And this elimination of the veil, or the veiling that the veil was supposed to accomplish, it signified the end of any need for any new atonement for the sin of God's people. That place was where the high priest would go once a year. And if he had sin in his heart, they had to tie a rope around his ankle so that if he dropped dead in the Holy of Holies, they could yank him out of there. You don't mess around with that. And they would go into that room and sprinkle the blood of the spotless lamb as an atonement for the sins of the people of Israel for that year. And that veil tore in half from top to bottom, giving access to all of us for all time. Jesus' blood paid the full price. Where am I? There I am. Okay. That was too good. I couldn't even pay attention to my notes. When Jesus said, when Jesus said it is finished from the cross, guess what? It was finished. It also says there in Matthew 27 that there was an earthquake at that time and that after Jesus' resurrection, other believers who had died before looking forward to the coming Messiah in faith, 
They were raised from the dead. They came out of their tombs and walked, strolled right into Jerusalem, being seen by many. Hey, what's up? That would be eye-catching. And even with all of this happening, right before everyone's eyes, Matthew records that it was a Roman, not a Jew, who saw everything and declared, surely this was the Son of God. It was right there for everyone to see. Verse 29. And he who sent me, this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. You guys think he's with you, but he's with me. Remember, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. He says, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Why was Jesus able to be our perfect sacrifice? Why was his death, his shed blood, an acceptable and final atonement for our sin? Because Jesus is without sin. He always did what was pleasing to the Father. And of course he would. Because he is I am. So let's think about this. The eternal, uncaused, uncreated, self-existent, great I am in all of his holiness, his righteousness, his power and glory took on humanity to redeem us, his own creation, having turned our back on him in our sin, rejecting him, denying him, disobeying him, disrespecting him. And he took on flesh. He took on humanity and lived the life we could never live and died a death he never could deserve to die. And paid a penalty that we would never see the end of paying. Eternal. And through his death, Jesus provided for our salvation. God provided for our great need. And if you will believe, repent and follow Jesus, then where he has gone, you will go. You will go, and you will be given eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 30, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. And if you've already believed, if you are already saved, praise God. Let's not forget, though, what our biggest problem is and what our biggest problem was. Let's not minimize Jesus Christ by making him into anything less than our all-sufficient Savior and God. That was our biggest need, Christians. It is our biggest need. Jesus isn't less than that. To think that, oh, the cross is great. So thankful for that. Now, the next thing. Jesus isn't less than all sufficient to meet our greatest need and more. Let's not minimize him. All those other problems we have are far less significant compared to what he has already accomplished for us. And often when we look at those other problems through the grid of the gospel and the hope that we have in Christ, we can see them for what they are with such greater clarity and purpose and contentment. And that's not to say that our other struggles don't hurt. 
that they aren't important or not significant or that God doesn't care about them. He does. He does. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And we do these things together as we walk through life together as a church. We care about these things. But if we get back to thinking that our jobs, our relationships, our health, or anything else that goes on down here where we are, are more important or even as important as eternity, more important than our sin, then it won't be long before we fall into the trap of thinking that Jesus is only as good as the last jam he got me out of. Only as good as the last favor he did for me. And that doesn't sound like a big God, does it? Is that even an accurate portrayal of who Jesus is? Is that even a compelling religion that's worth winning anyone to? Especially if God still has the ability to tell us no to some of our prayers especially if the troubles of this world don't all go away, which Jesus said they won't. Jesus doesn't comfort us by taking all of our hardships away. He told us that he has overcome the world. This down here stuff is temporary. Everything down here is temporary. These bodies, praise God, are temporary. These buildings temporary our governments temporary god's going to make a new heaven and a new earth and all the old will pass away this is temporary but life with him is eternal we will groan in this flesh because we are awaiting the day where we get to see him face to face when everything is going to be made new by him. No more death. No more sin. Our greatest problem. And if you think about it, all the other problems that we deal with down here, are they not a consequence of the curse of sin? Can you imagine living with no sin? That's hopeful. And he is our hope and joy. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Christ alone for your salvation, if you have never seen your sin as your greatest problem, if you have always seen Jesus as a means to alleviating all of your other problems that truly pale in comparison to our sin against our holy creator God, then please believe today, right now, and be saved. Be saved. Become a follower of Jesus Christ, and then together, let's look to and follow Jesus, walking in the light, in the midst of all the world can throw at us, and maybe even sometimes what we like to throw at each other. Let's run to Jesus the one who has saved us from our sin, and let's follow hard together, church, after him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. We often think about how the Bible reveals who you are to us. God, we also thank you that the Bible has revealed who we are to us. 
we can desire so strongly, so adamantly to have an idea and a sense of our identity in this world. And God, you have told us who we are. And you made us. So you decide that. And God, we thank you that in your kindness and in your love for us, for your glory, even while we were sinners, you loved us and gave us Jesus Christ to die in our place. God, thank you for Jesus. And I do pray, Lord, if there are people here today that don't know Christ, who are now in bondage in their sin, God, free them. Work in their hearts that they might put their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ in the cross. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.